truth. How do we discover it? How do we understand it? And how do we apply it? These foundational questions of life can be answered in the pages of God's Word, the Bible. Through the systematic study of Scripture, we seek to equip women with a growing understanding of truth, which only comes by knowing the God of all truth. This is the Theology Matters Podcast. Welcome to the Theology Matters Podcast. I am Laura Corumbus, and I'm sitting here with Bethany Drum and Marty Crabtree and Wendy Blackwell, and we are here to talk about theology proper today. So we are looking forward to that conversation. But before we get going, we're going to start with a little question for you guys. Uh, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? I'll start. I I had to think about this. You gave us this question earlier, and I thought about it, and I remembered the movie Encanto, where they got all these powers. And so I decided that I would like the superpower of being able to communicate with animals because I have this golden retriever who is a problem child. <laughs> and I would love to be able to convince him that it is okay to chill out once in a while and that he doesn't have to be a puppy his entire life. And so, you know, to be able to communicate with my sweet dog, that would be wonderful. I like it. Yeah. That's kind of like communicating with children. That should, <laughs> that's like a superpower sometimes too. <laughs> Truth. Uh, what else? Bethany's looking at me. Um, I don't, I, I can't stand this question. I've heard this question. My husband always has the answer of flight, which is the common. I did in podcast preparation, get out there and research superpowers, believe it or not. There are things I've never even heard of that are superpowers. Um, but what I did find is that every superpower has strengths and weaknesses. And so I would think of a superpower I would want and then I would go, yeah, but what if? So if I just had to say off the top of my head, I would say invisibility. I just think I've always thought that was kind of cool that you could just move around and people wouldn't see you anywhere. But um, again, you can take it too far, but it is a fun question to think about. There's my answer. That that goes to the depth of how Wendy prepares for things, yes. I think. Yeah. <laughs> like so you looked for a list. I'm impressed. Yeah. Uh, I can go next. Yeah. Mine, mine would be to be able to be in two places at once. I don't know if that's an actual superpower, but that's if I could just be here and somewhere else doing something because, or like clone myself, because I like to do lots of things. So if one of me could be at home cleaning up right now, so I don't have to do it later when I get home, that'd be great. And I could be here. So that's the one I wish I had. Well, I actually do have a superpower. Oh. It's Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> that is my superpower. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, yes. <laughs> so I don't know. I've had it for five or six, seven years. <laughs> but uh, well, that was a good question. That was fun. And we're going to do things a little bit differently today. Laura is usually our hostess asking all the questions. But um, today I'm going to ask. Uh, start out by asking Laura a couple of questions. So... As we talk about theology proper, um, the first question, Laura, is what is theology proper? Yeah, so theology proper, we've talked about 
systematic theology, and that's what we're kind of going through in our class and in our podcast, but theology proper is specifically just the study of God. So when we talk about theology proper, we're talking about his existence and his attributes. We're talking about the Trinity and the names of God and also God's decrees and his providence. So we're looking at all those different aspects of God. Anything to add, ladies? It's a big deal to be able to talk about God in that way. And uh, one of the things that I felt was true, and I think that we, we shared this, was that even in the classes that we had where we had a good bit of time to talk about attributes of God and so forth, to try to capture God in words is, um, the Bible says that God is unsearchable, and yet he asks us to search him out, but if he's unsearchable, how do we find him? And so it's, it is a, a wonderful thing to search after God, but to find him and to, to wrap our arms around him, that's a big ask. Yeah, this is where I always say we take the incomprehensible, infinite God and try and make him understandable in comprehensible terms to our finite minds. And um, I totally agree with you, Marty. That's He is bigger than anything our minds can begin to comprehend, and yet he has chosen to reveal parts of himself and make himself knowable in a way that our, our minds can grasp. And that's an amazing gift he's given us, yeah, to know him. Well, if we talked about all the attributes of God, it would be too long for a podcast or a podcast that's too long. Um, But what are some of the attributes of God, Laura? Yeah. So actually, I was going to start with the one that Wendy just mentioned, which is that he's incomprehensible. And so when I started preparing for the first class on this topic, I'm like, why am I trying to teach on somebody who's incomprehensible? But, you know, he's he is infinite and he is beyond our understanding. And yet, he allows us to learn about himself, like Marty said as well. And so um, we can't know him fully and completely now, um, but he does reveal himself to us. And so we can know him, which is amazing. So he is incomprehensible. And we talked about, too, in our class that just the existence of God, that he exists. And so one of his attributes is his aseity, which is his self-existence. And so he is uncreated. Um, He has always been in existence because he's eternal, but he is the giver of life and he has life in and of himself is his aseity or aseity. And so um, we have to believe that he exists and that he is self-existent and also that he's he's transcendent and he's imminent and so when we're talking about those attributes you know his transcendence goes along with his holiness that he is different from us he is Uh, separate from us. He's not a superhero. He's not just a superhuman that is like we are, but better. He is transcendent. So he's different than we are. And yet he is also imminent. And I'm going to spell it because there are different spellings for imminent and it means different things. So I'm saying imminent like I-M-M-A-N-E-N. 
and see eminence. And so that just means that he's also near to his creation. Um, he didn't just create the world and leave us here on, on our own. He is actually near to us and with us. And so that was kind of how we started, or I started talking about the attributes of God. Um, you know, I, go ahead. Yeah. I, what I wanted to, to just mention is for someone who's listening and saying, well, you know, I looked for the word eminence in the Bible and I didn't find it, or I looked for a city in the Bible and I didn't find it. So where do you guys find this stuff? And I mean, they, I think that the answer is that there have been uh, people over the centuries who have studied the Word of God and poured over it in order to find out who God is. And those people have found these terms to help us understand God. Well, it's really those terms def uh, give name to what's in Scripture, right? Yes. To the attributes that God makes known in Scripture. And those terms, although they're not in Scripture, but they kind of define or give a name to what is in scripture about God. Right. That's how I think of it. Yeah, and the, so these are categories. Well, not categories, but they're words that people have come up with because of the scripture that points to them is what you're saying, right? Right. And so, so when God says, I, I I am who I am, Yes. so what do we make of that? Yes. And so then we find out a seity. Right, and so that that's what that means when he's saying I am, that he is self-existent, and so that's where that word comes from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and so and and these attributes or these characteristics or their perfections, as people call them, you know, they uh, describe who God is, and they describe His character, and they describe His nature to us, and I think that's so foundational obviously to understanding who God is, but also to studying the scripture. Because if we don't know these things about God, then if we come to a confusing passage where it seems like, what what is God doing here? I'm not really sure. We can look back to his character and what we know of his character and see if that lines up. So, um, so when theologians have talked about the attributes of God, they will sometimes put them into different categories. And there are, there are different ways that people um, organize it. I like to talk about his incommunicable attributes and his communicable attributes. And so his incommunicable attributes are those things that are only true of God and they're not true of us. And so the ones that I mentioned already before, his incomprehensibility, his aseity, his transcendence, his eminence, those are all incommunicable. They cannot be true of us. They're only true of God. And so I was just going to read kind of a list of these incommunicable attributes so you can wrap your head around what I'm talking about since we don't have time to get into all of them. But uh, some of the in incommunicable attributes are his aseity, his incomprehensibility, his spirituality, his eternity, his immutability, which means he never changes, his omnipresence. That's kind of what I want <laughs> to have, <laughs> being in more than one place at a time. Um, his omniscience, he's all-knowing. His omnipotence, he's all-powerful. Um, his immensity. So all of those things are some of his incommunicable attributes that we cannot have but are true of him. And then um, 
the communicable attributes, though, are attributes that are true of God, but can also be true of us to a degree. So obviously not to the degree of God, but we're called to be these things. So I I think of these as the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are uh, things that come from God. He's the source. He is all of those things, but we're also called to be those things. And so some of the other communicable attributes are um, wisdom, holiness. We're also called to holiness, even though we won't have it to the same degree as God. Um, mercy, loving kindness. I already said patience, truthfulness. Um, so there are lots of lots of communicable attributes of God as well that we are called as image bearers to have to show the world what God is like. Um, so those are some of the some of the attributes that we went through. And if you want more information, I have some book recommendations if you want me to mention those. Sure. As you were talking about communicable and incommunicable, that's how it was categorized, I believe, in Fundamentals of the Faith. I remember, yeah, we're going through that in our Bible study, and that's how they... Mm-hmm. how he categorized it in that. And I can't remember, have we talked about that on in a previous episode, Fundamentals of the Faith, just that I don't think, resource? Oh, no. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's a, you want to tell a little bit about what it yeah, is in case people want to check it out? it's a resource, I think, created by uh, Grace Church out in uh, California. Uh, John, John MacArthur worked on it a lot. Um, yeah, and we use it here, and a couple of our pastors have kind of adapted it a little bit to um, coincide with our church's very comprehensive statement of faith. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it, it's a, it is what it says. It's a great overview of the fundamentals of the faith. And you go into maybe to a lesser degree in some cases, you know, some of the things we're covering in this class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so our church offers it as a class. Mm-hmm. But it's also a booklet, so people could do it on their own right. if they wanted to. I or think. in a group. Or in a group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So unless you guys have anything else, I was – because we have a lot to get to <laughs> yeah. theology proper. So that is definitely an overview of the attributes. But I was going to share some resources before moving on to the next part. Do you guys have any – no. So um, just a couple of the resources because we, you know, we love Jen Wilkins, so we've talked about her. So she has two books on the attributes of God. Um, one is called None Like Him, and the other one is called In His Image, I Thank believe. Thank you. In yes. His Image. Mm-hmm. I was blanking. I'm terrible at remembering titles of books. Um, so those are really, really good. And also um, A.W. Tozier, his Knowledge, knowledge of, the, of holy. the Holy. See, I'm blanking out. I knew I would. So Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozier is great. And then The Undomesticated Attributes of God by Matthew Barrett was um, a one big one that I took a lot of my class from, and it's, it's a great read. And um, so, yeah, so those are some resources if you want more information. So that is where we started with the existence and the attributes of God. And then Wendy went on in our next class to talk about the names of God and also the Trinity, which 
Wendy is going to explain the Trinity in about three minutes, and you're not going to have any questions at the end, right, Wendy? That's that's your plan okay, for today. You might have told me before we started that I had three minutes. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> sure. No, but, but I'm, that's okay. I'm putting that out there so that people know that we're going to have a bonus episode on the Trinity yes. because the Trinity is, you know, slightly complicated. And so we're going to do and incomprehensible. <laughs> no, not really. It is. <laughs> yes. Mind flowing. It's fine. We all understand it perfectly. No. Uh, so we're going to do, we'll do an extra bonus episode on the Trinity. So she's going to talk she's about it to take the pressure. Exactly. Off of today. <laughs> She'll talk about it a little bit, but we'll have some extra on that. So anyway, why don't you start with uh, the names of God and just why does God have so many different names in the Bible? I think um, I took a quote from James Montgomery Boyce, who said that the names of God are windows through which his character is seen. And I think if you really were to study through scripture, all the different names, it would just give you Again, a, a limited glimpse, but it would give you a, a great glimpse into who God is and how he interacted with his people. And um, in ancient Israel, when they talked, the people, the way you treated the name of God correlated to how you treated God himself. That's how serious they took the name of God. And that's why Yahweh, I mean, you can go into all kinds of things, why that was a tetragrammaton, four letters, and they would not speak the name because it was so holy. And so you get into all the value of God's name and how the people really interacted with that name. Um, and if I might just pull another quote from Charles Spurgeon, I thought it says, says it well, ignorance is worst when it amounts to ignorance of God and knowledge is best when it exercises itself upon the name of God. And he said that in response to Psalm 910, which says, And those who know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, O Lord, hast not forsaken those who seek thee. And again, if you know his name, you know his character, you know who he is, and thus you are more willing to put your trust in him and respond to that faith given to you by the Holy Spirit to believe in that name. Um, and so the name of God is a strong tower, and we know Scripture says the righteous run to it and are safe, and that is where we put our hope and our confidence in who God is. So does that sum up other thoughts on the names of God? Do you, That's what I have. Do you want more? I, I think that's that great. great. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about the Trinity. <laughs> that's why I saved you on the names, because— because we kept it short on the name so we could go long on the Trinity. Um, I will just say up front that studying to teach about the Trinity has been one of my favorite moments of, of what we've been able to do this spring. And it was probably because it's a subject I have delved into the least, something I've never questioned. You just, by the grace of God, growing up in a family where we attended church regularly, I had parents who were believers. It was just, you know, we were taught the truths of Scripture, the Trinity being one of those. But I've never dug in until I was preparing for this class. And um, it was fascinating to really to read. And, and I said that night, I said, um, I read a lot of stuff and then I read more and I threw away stuff because I realized it didn't align with the Orthodox teaching of who or what the Trinity is. And then I had the, the great pleasure of sitting down with our pastor here, Jesse Johnson, who is working on a dissertation on the Trinity. But he allowed me to just talk through questions I had, talk through some vocabulary. It was a lot of new vocabulary for me, make sure I understood it well. 
pick my brain a little bit to see where my understanding was. But then my final question to him was, if you had about an hour with a group of women to teach them about the Trinity, what would you tell them? And he summed it up to three things. And he said, one essence, three persons, eternal generation. So if I summed it up and you want the three-minute version, I would tell you one essence, three persons, eternal generation. If I might have a couple of more minutes, <laughs> I'll flesh those out a little yeah, I'm, bit. I'm thinking people are wondering what <laughs> yeah. is eternal generation. Please do. <laughs> Please flesh those out. So this is going to be hard. I've never, where you can't see anything, but you're listening. I'm going to try and describe a diagram and um, that I think outlines the Trinity well. So if you take the three vertices of a triangle and you put Father, Son, and Spirit on the three vertices, and then in the center of that triangle, you have God. You can draw connecting lines from Father, Son, and Spirit all to God because the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. So that all connects. But then if you look at the sides of that triangle between Father and Spirit, between Spirit and Son, and between Son and Father, you would have the words, is not, because the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. But they all are God. So how does that help? That helps because when you talk about his one essence, that is his whatness, as Matthew Barrett. Laura, you already mentioned that with his book on attributes. He also has written a book called Simply Trinity. That's his essence. That is who he is, his whatness, I think, is the way Matthew Barrett said it. And that is God. They are all God. They are all of the same essence, meaning they all have the same will, authority, power, and glory. There is, they are co-equal, they are co-eternal. And so that is all that one essence. But they are three persons, and they all have different operations. As in, you can, I could go really deep, but I'll try and keep it. Um, they relate to man in their role. For example, God chosen, God chose and elected those who are his. The Son redeemed those who are his, and the Spirit sealed those who are his. And you can go to Ephesians 1. If I could dig into Ephesians 1 with you, you can clearly read through the beginning of Paul's letter and see very clearly the three persons of the Trinity all acting in unison for our salvation. And so it's really a beautiful story when you look at the one essence and the three persons. And then I'll just touch briefly, eternal generation. Um, generation, same word that comes from Genesis, means beginning but when you put the word eternal in front of it, it means that beginning was from all eternity and will endure for all eternity. And um, when you learn about these things, you see how they refute different heresies of the day. And the eternal generation refuted that Christ was a created being. And, and I think some said that because it was as if God created the world, man then fell, and all, he had to come up with a plan to right the ship, if you will. But that was not the way it unfolded. This plan for our salvation was from all time, and, and Christ was eternally generated, or as we learned when we talked about it, begotten. He is the begotten Son from the unbegotten Father, and the Spirit is spirated. So again, new vocabulary. I encourage you to just what keep— is spirated? <laughs> <laughs> keep, keep going as you learn— Vocabulary, what is spirated? The spirit is spirated from the Father and the Son out of their love. Um, those three persons in their Trinitarian relationship just 
love abounded and that love, it, I love, somebody said that God's plan of salvation was not because of a lack of anything. It was an overflow of the love that was in that perfect Trinitarian relationship that existed for all times. Um, I don't know where and how you just cut off a, a quick discussion yeah. on the Trinity because you could keep going, but I think that's probably enough. And some have already checked out on me. So, <laughs> well, we cut well we cut you off because we're going to go into more depth. We will we will get some more in-depth explanation of spirated and other things. So yeah, but that was great, Wendy, in that. And tell us the name of the book again that you that you read or any any of the books. I know you read lots of things. Um, this is simply Trinity by Matthew Barrett, and it's the unmanipulated Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, since you pointed me back to this book, if I might read one thing, because one of the questions you had posited to me in why is the Trinity an important doctrine? And the last thing I talked about was eternal generation. Um, I would read you this all, but I don't, well, I'll just start. We'll clean it up if we need to. It says, <laughs> but eternal generation is also essential for understanding salvation. For if the Son is not the only begotten Son, then there is no basis on which the Father can send His Son into the world to save sinners like you and me. Only one who is God Himself, begotten from the very essence of the Father, is qualified, let alone capable, of saving a fallen humanity. If He is not eternally generated, what hope do we have that we will be regenerated? I'll just remind you of a verse that Matthew Barrett points out a lot, and it's John 5, 26. And it says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Only he who has life in himself can give life to those who so desperately need it. And in John's first letter, it tells us that his gift to us is eternal life, and, and he can only gift us eternal life because he has given been given life by his Father. So, you know, I think one of the reasons there there has been so much heresy over the centuries is that this is so hard to understand, and I think that people are much prefer a God who is more like them mm -hmm. that they can understand and they can put their heads around because the God of the Bible, when we truly begin to to grapple with who He is, it's difficult. Yeah, I think that's very well said, Marty. Mm -hmm. uh, as you were t talking, I thought back to our first question when you asked us about superpowers, and there's so much about superheroes, and and y'all know that, you know, I'm of that ilk. <laughs> but um, I was thinking, you know, we don't need a superhero, we need a savior. And if the son isn't eternally begotten, isn't God, then he can't be our savior, then he's just a superhero. And that's not what we need. We need a savior. Yeah. Yeah. And we get there when we get to Christology, mm -hmm. which is great. So we'll we'll be getting to talk about that. Um, but we also had another class in theology proper, which was Marty's. Because, you know, if the attributes and the Trinity and the names weren't enough, <laughs> we also covered God's decree and his sovereignty and his providence, which I think you added on providence because you just didn't feel like talking about the first two was enough, right, Marty? <laughs> that's that's true. And, and that it was sort of a trinity, wasn't it? <laughs> 
I did add that on. And I also added on glory because, you know, as I'll say in a minute, all of these things point to the glory of God. Yet another thing that is very difficult to understand. The um, So I, I did. I talked about the decree of God, the providence of God, and the sovereignty of God. And the way I summarize that, I'll, I'll talk about the summary first. The, the summary of these three things is this. God has a purpose which he accomplished by his power for his good pleasure for his and all for his glory. So God has a purpose, he has a plan, and he has power in order uh, to uh, accomplish all of these things. So taking these apart, the first thing is the decree of God. And a, a working definition for the decree of God is it's God's immutable, and that's a term that you used uh, a few minutes ago, meaning unchangeable, wise, holy purpose that determines everything, everywhere, always. And that's a that's a very dense uh, definition if you if you think about it. Um, it's immutable, wise, holy. It is a purpose. Everything throughout eternity has been purposed by the decree of God. There is nothing that has happened at any place ever that is not part of the decree of God. And of course, we all want to say, but wait a minute, but that is the decree of God. The word decree is singular, which I think is so interesting because there is one plan in the mind of God, one plan for everything, always, everywhere. And so there's this connection that God has made within his own mind in order for uh, all of the all the things that have happened to happen. So uh, Psalm 115.3 says it this way, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And the word pleases means it, it's what he delights in. God does what he delights in. And Job 23, 13 says what he desires, that is what he does. And so the things that take place are what God desires. And we could talk about that with, with what about this, what about that, but, but let me just go on. So the, the decree is God's plan, but then there is providence, and providence is how God works the plan. Um, Decree is the mind of God. Providence is the arm of God is perhaps one way to think about it. Uh, the West, Westminster Catechism says God works of providence are his most holy, wise, powerfully preserving and governing of his creatures, ordering them and all their actions to his own glory. So we see the providence of God in many ways in many places. We see the providence of God in nature. Every sunrise is everywhere on the earth is an is a work of the providence uh, of God. Um, and in history we see the providence of God. The unfolding of history is his work of his uh, purpose. Um, with respect to nature, uh, Psalm says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The root of the word providence means to see, means to see. And 
we can we can think about that with respect to God's relationship with the children of Israel when they were enslaved in Egypt, which is in uh, Exodus chapter two. It says that they cried out to God and He saw them, and when He saw them, He acted, and then we we know that then He brought them uh, out of Israel, and so that was His providential work on behalf of the children of Israel. Um, so then the other third part of, of that with decree, the mind of God, providence, the arm of God is sovereignty. Here we're talking about the power of God. Remember our, our uh, summary sentence, God has a purpose that he works through his power to accomplish his good pleasure. So when we think about sovereignty, a sovereign is a king. He is a ruler. He's the person who has the power to work out the decrees. And and the theologian A.W. Pink says, to say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the almighty, the possessor of all power in heaven and earth so that none can defeat his counsels, thwart his purpose, or resist his will. And when I, when I hear that, I'm reminded of, of a hymn by a guy named Chris Anderson. It's called Relentless Love. And he talks about salvation, which we referred to earlier, that uh, where he, he wrote, Till by a grace unsought, my rebel soul was caught, redeemed by love that would not be denied. It's very Calvinistic, but <laughs> you know, it is also part of the decree, providence, and sovereignty of God. Um, who God is, you know, when we talk about all of his, his attributes, who God is, we see in what he, in what he does. Um, his works are part of his wisdom, his purpose, and his power. And I'm very fond of a quote of Matthew Barrett. We're talking about Matthew Barrett a lot here today. But in the, the book on the attributes, he has this little phrase. He says, God has no edges. God has no edges. So it's like there's no dropping off of any any part of him that he's a little less omnipotent here or maybe his holiness slips a little bit. He is perfectly who he is eternally. He has no edges. As I listen to you, Marty, talk about God's sovereignty, I'm reminded um, one time in a I don't remember it was an ABF adult Bible fellowship, basically adult Sunday school here, or a Bible study with one of our elders, and I was talking about God's sovereignty a lot, and he interjected and said, remember that God is sovereign and good. And I was just thinking about, um, as we think about God being sovereign, it's so important that we know all his attributes too, because we could have a God that's sovereign, that's not good and loving and just and compassionate and merciful, but we do have a sovereign God who is all those things. So knowing all that, you know, what is his good pleasure is ultimately always for not only his glory, but for our good because we know all those other attributes going back to the beginning of our episode here. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think it's good to reinforce the fact that God's decree 
his sovereignty, all that is based on his character. Mm -hmm. What he does is based on who he is, and God is good, mm -hmm. and God is holy. Mm -hmm. um, when we sang this past Sunday, holy, 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 he's merciful and he's mighty, mm -hmm. God in three persons. Mm -hmm. Gee, it all just kind of comes <laughs> together, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and during your class, Marty, I think you were talking about um, a conversation with a friend who just who wasn't quite sure about God's decrees or his sovereignty. And, you know, that I was going to say kind of the same thing that Bethany said, which is just that if you know the attributes of God and you know, you know, it's scary for us because we want to be in control, but we don't know everything. But God knows everything. He's omniscient. And so he's not, and he's just. So he's not going to make a judgment that is wrong or unjust because he is justice and he knows everything. And so it's so wound up in that. And I think during your class too, you there was a, a sentence that you kept saying, and now I can't remember what it was, but you, you kept reiterating that during your class as well, that his decrees come out of his attributes or they are consistent with his nature. So if we can trust his nature and his attributes, we can trust his decrees and his sovereignty. So that's just so important to remember. Well, and, and I mentioned the glory of God earlier. What God does is for his glory, and that's mentioned over and over again in the scriptures. And I think when some people think about that, God does things for his glory, it's like he's, you know, he's got issues and, and you know, that he has some, some big ego thing going on. But that's not it at all, because God is glorified um, and magnified through our salvation and our sanctification and he's god is heading somewhere with this and let me uh let me bring up a quote from um paul washer who's a, a pastor and writer he says god did not create the universe because he had a need but because he desired to make known the superabundance of his perfections his glory and goodness and uh, Jonathan Edwards says that the glory of God is the end to which God created the world. So, okay, then, well, God created the world. Why then? God created the world and, and his creatures so that we would worship him, so that he would get the worship that he is due as the perfect being that he is. There, as we've been talking about with, with his uh, attributes, there is no one like our God. And when we see him someday, when I was thinking about this as I was driving over, what it will be like for us to be in the presence of God. And I think it would be it will be like when you go for a trip into the mountains and your car goes around the corner and you see these beautiful mountains or the ocean. Or there's a piece of, of music that you listen to that just, you know, makes you weep because it's just so beautiful. And I think that that's what it's going to be like, that our worship is going to just come from us when we see the glory um, of God. And uh, John MacArthur has, I think, a very good um, definition for the glory of God. It's kind of long, but I think it's helpful. He says, the glory of God, uh, the glory of the Lord is the expression of God's person. It is any manifestation of God's character, any manifestation of his attributes in the world, in the universe, that is his glory. In other words, it is the emanation, it is the effulgence 
or, or light. It is the brightness. It is the product of his presence. It is the revelation of himself. I love that it's the product of his presence. And when we see the glory of God, we will worship and we'll understand that the things that he has done for his glory are for our good, that we will be able to worship him in inexpressible joy forever. Amen. Anybody have anything to add to that? That was a good ending. <laughs> but I was going to say, Marty, did you have any books or any recommendations like that that you used to prepare that you would recommend for people if they're wanting to look more into providence or sovereignty? Um, what What was a book by John Piper that I had mentioned? Uh, providence. Providence. <laughs> well, there's that. Yeah, that's a that's a doorstop. No, the one about sins. Um, oh, I can't remember, but you gave it away. I did. I did. What, what is the name of that book? Well, Marty, we can come back to that, right? Yeah, we yeah. Can, I mean, you look can, it up and yeah. tell us in the, another episode. Yeah, there you go. Um, okay, so to finish off, just to completely change gears so that we can do some a fun way to end so you can get to know us a little bit better, our rapid response question for today is, what is your favorite season? I'll go first, and I didn't even have to research this one. Oh, good. <laughs> fall is my favorite season. <laughs> oh. And I would say fall. Oh, Bethany. As usual, I can't choose. I, I Spring and fall. I grew up in Florida where there's one season, summer. Right. And so I just love spring and fall. I just love it. Yeah. I, it's hard for me to choose. So. Well, I am on the fall bandwagon. I love fall. All the things about fall. Today we have like record heat and I don't like the heat. So summer's my least favorite, but I love fall too. So, all right. Well, this was good talking about all these things. Again, this is an overview, obviously, of theology proper. So hopefully we've given you some things to think about and some resources to do a deeper dive if you're interested in that. But we thank you for listening. And in our next episode, we will be talking about Christology. So make sure you come back for that. The Theology Matters course and podcast are projects of the women's ministry at Emanuel Bible Church in Springfield, Virginia. Please subscribe to Theology Matters wherever you get your podcasts. For more information, please visit ibc.church and find the women's ministry page. We pray you will continue to study and understand the truth of God's word every day and see just how much theology matters in every aspect of our lives.